Hello and welcome to this week's podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This time for the Business Week ended 18th November 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, a market snapshot of inflammatory bowel disease. Will biotech bounce back in 2023? Phase 3 miss for Roche's Alzheimer's candidate. How Japan's top firms did in the last quarter and the China Showcase hints on policies and strategies. Inflammatory bowel disease is an increasingly crowded market with an influx of novel therapies recently launched or nearing approvals. The good news for up-and-coming treatments is that established products leave a lot of room for improvement. The bad news is that novel drugs for ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease will compete with entrenched therapeutics such as AbbVie's TNF inhibitor Humira and Johnson & Johnson's interleukin-12-23 inhibitor Stellara, for which biosimilars will be available in the next one to two years. Mandy Daxon writes that while anti-TNF biologics and other advanced therapies are the standard of care after conventional frontline therapeutics for UC and CD patients, Humira biosimilars could make for formidable challenges. But, as many drug makers are quick to point out, only a fraction of patients achieve remission with anti-TNF agents, and even fewer achieve long-term remission. J&J's TNF inhibitor Remicade already faces biosimilar competition across all of its inflammatory bowel disease and other indications, while Humira will face its first biosimilar competition in 2023, and Stellara goes off patent late in 2023. Other TNF inhibitors with IBD indications, such as J&J's Symponi for UC and UCB's Simsia for CD, will go off patent in 2024. Treatment of IBD typically begins with oral anti-inflammatories before patients move on to biologics. But given the safety on long-term efficacy concerns in a lifelong disease that often begins in young patients, Biologics, with several years on the market, are doing well in the face of increasing competition from novel oral therapies for IBD. Safety is also a primary concern in a market where many patients are on well-established therapies. Takeda's IV-administered biologic, Entivio, for instance, continues to gain momentum even more than eight years after its initial approval in the US, making inroads despite the dominance of anti-TNF agents when patients transition from conventional medicines to advanced therapies. And it appears that Entivio may have several years before it will face biosimilar competition, according to the company's guidance. The end of regulatory exclusivity timelines for Entivio in the EU, May 2024, and US, May 2026, was Takeda's base case for estimated entry for Entivio biosimilars. But no Entivio biosimilars have been announced as being in clinical development so far. The article takes a detailed look at the overall market size for IBD, prospects and current pipeline, so do check it out in full for all the information. Publicly listed small to medium-sized biopharma companies have endured one of their worst years in decades in 2022, with hundreds seeing their market value sinking below cash and a handful even going bust. Andrew McConaughey writes that this has been sparked by a heavy post-pandemic market correction in biotech and other high-risk sectors, twinned with a macro-level pressure from the economic shock of inflation 
and rising interest rates fueled by the war in Ukraine. Privately held companies have fared a little better as venture capital cash has kept flowing, but most were prevented from raising cash via IPOs because of unfavourable market conditions. Public investor appetite for unproven pipelines and platforms is much diminished compared with the explosion of market launches seen in 2020 and the first half of 2021. As the year draws to an end, a panel of biotech experts at the Investival Conference in London on 14th November took stock of the past 12 months and looked ahead to what next year might bring. Tim Haynes, managing partner at Life Sciences Venture Investment Firm Abingworth, said that while Biopharma may consider itself a special case, it is in fact subject to the same macroeconomic pressures as other sectors. We are heavily driven by inflation, by cheap money, and pretty much mirror what you see in the tech market. So we remain hugely macroeconomic dependent in terms of how biotech performs. After hitting new heights in 2020, biotech stocks began a rapid descent in late 2021 that continued into this year. The XBI index, which includes a basket of key biotech names such as Amgen and Moderna, plus many smaller companies, started the year at $115, but had lost nearly half its value by May. The index may have rallied since, but is currently still down 25% compared with January. Nevertheless, Haynes said three factors were likely to act as tailwinds for the sector. Firstly, the amount of capital coming into venture funds has remained high. Secondly, unlike tech, the sector is not dependent on consumer spending. And thirdly, while big pharma M&A activity has been low in 2022, its need to plug gaps in its pipelines has not gone away. Around 70% of pharma's pipeline today is in-licensed, and most of it from biotech. Pharma has around $300 billion of patent-based revenues, losing market exclusivity between now and 2030. They have in the region of $1.5 trillion they can access in debt to finance deals, he noted. But as the macroeconomic environment looks unlikely to soften in 2023, many cash-strapped biotechs that need to raise new funds will face a tough environment. Bruce Booth, a partner at Atlas Ventures, presented his annual review of the sector on 7th November via its YouTube channel. Booth drew on market data showing that 85% of companies from the IPO classes of 2020 and 21 were valued at under their IPO price at the end of the third quarter of 2022. Scripps' own analysis of all the 40-plus companies which IPO'd in 2020 shows that just four currently have a higher share price than at IPO with nine having lost 75% of their market value since then. While the outlook remains at best uncertain for many such companies, there are some more encouraging signs for the few biotechs which have launched IPOs this year. Booth noting that, as of late September, there had been eight, with 75% of these currently trading above their issue price. Azai and Baojian look set to have a clear run at the Alzheimer's disease market now that Roche's rival candidate, Gantanerumab, is out of the running after it failed in its two phase three graduate studies. Gantanerumab did not significantly slow the progression of Alzheimer's in the twin studies involving nearly 2,000 people with early disease. Andrew McConaughey writes that Gantanerumab's failure, which was widely expected, is likely due to lower-than-expected levels of beta-amyloid removal, 
by the beta amyloid targeting monoclonal IgG1 antibody, suggesting that the mechanism did not deliver. In the two graduate studies, there was a clear but non-significant slowing of cognitive and functional change across six areas. The top-line results are in contrast with the success two months ago for Azi and Biogen's similar candidate, the Canimab, in its Phase 3 Clarity AD study. And Roche confirmed to Scrib that it will not file the product with regulators based on the graduate trials. Lecanimab has been filed with the US FDA, which could grant approval as early as 6th January next year and may generate multi-billion dollar sales if approved. Gantanerumab is delivered via subcutaneous injection, a more convenient route of administration compared with the intravenous method used by its competitors, and Roche had hoped this could make it more accessible. However, the company is not giving up on Alzheimer's, and its portfolio spans investigational medicines for different targets, types and stages of the disease. One hopeful, trontinimab, is in a phase 1b-2a study in prodromal or mild to moderate Alzheimer's and is expected to read out in the second half of 2024. The candidate is delivered more directly into the brain. Major Japanese pharma firms showed contrasting results in the period to 30th September, with Astellas, Daiichi Sankyo and Chugai all enjoying mainstay success, while Shionogi and Eizai suffered slower growth, although the weekend had a positive effect across the board. The roundup excluded Takeda, which was reported separately by Scrip. Looking ahead to the rest of the fiscal year ending next 31st March, for all except Chugai, which has a calendar year, Astellas and Azi have high hopes for potential blockbuster approvals in the form of Fosolinitant for menopause symptoms and Lecanimab for Alzheimer's, respectively. Shionogi, meanwhile, is continuing to build out its oral antiviral pipeline for COVID-19, Lisa Takagi reports. Astellas marked 17% overall growth in the six-month period, with its main product, Extandi, for prostate cancer, growing 24%. However, the non-steroidal antiandrogens suffered lower-than-expected growth in the US due to the impact of COVID-19 on patients' visits to clinics, although Japan and Europe helped to fill the gap. Shionogi's sales in Japan suffered from expiring inventory returns for influenza products Zofluza and Rapiacta because of two consecutive seasons without epidemics and a short product shelf life. But Shionogi revised upwards its total annual sales forecast, considering both royalty income from Vive around HIV and the impact on its China business of shifting generic policies and COVID-0 measures. While it may struggle to expand its current mainstays for the next couple of years, Shionogi revealed that another oral COVID-19 antiviral, S892D16, had entered preclinical development. Of Daiichi Sankyo's 77.8 billion yen growth in revenue for the six months, 43.4 billion yen came from the impact of the weaker yen, considering its overseas sales. Oncology antibody drug conjugate NHER2 contributed 34.2 billion. While other global mainstays maintained stable growth, the domestic business in Japan was hit by numerous launches of generics to the proton pump inhibitor Nexium. But boosted by NHER2, Daiichi Sankyo increased its annual sales outlook from 1,150 billion yen to 1,250 billion. 
Check out the full article for all the details of the challenges and opportunities for Japan's top pharma firms. Finally, every November, the huge China International Import Exhibition, or CIIE, is held in Shanghai, which is used both by pharma multinationals operating in China to showcase their wares and by Beijing to illustrate the country's openness to foreign business enterprises. Brian Yang writes that President Xi Jinping stressed in his video opening speech that China would remain open, but observers also pointed to a mention of tough waters ahead. Even so, CIIE saw a plethora of MNC drug makers showcase their commitment to China at a time when it is facing slower growth, an unpredictable policy environment, and increasing pricing and cost pressures. Pfizer, for instance, held an open day on the theme of togetherness, at which it highlighted its anti-infective and COVID-19 lineup. Patient centricity was another key industry theme, and Beijing has touted placing people and health as a priority to fend off criticisms of its strict COVID-0 policies. Chinese regulators have also emphasised placing patients at the centre of new drug development. Pfizer attempted to differentiate itself by shining a light on its late clinical development stage gene therapy and Duchenne muscular dystrophy assets, along with its Haemophilia AB franchise. If the first stage of going local in China is setting up an innovation centre and conducting local R&D, the second stage could be considered inclusion of the country in global R&D plans. The next stage would be partnering with local high-tech companies to develop tailored solutions. To this end, more companies are now venturing into innovative new tools ranging from online education platforms to remote diagnosis tools and reimbursement plans. Novartis, for instance, is piloting six new drugs under Hainan Province's Advanced Drug and Device Pilot Program, which allows therapies, mostly for cancer and rare diseases, not yet approved in China to be prescribed to patients travelling to and staying at a designated hospital in the area. A range of other multinationals, including Amgen, AbbVie, MSD, Bayer, Eli Lilly, Johnson & Johnson and Boring Ingelheim, also all showcased individual new drugs at CIIE. Roche, for example, chose to showcase its innovation in haematology and breast cancer, while AstraZeneca declared it had 150 clinical projects in its pipeline in China, nearly 90% developed in parallel with other global markets. That's all for this week. Thanks as always for listening. And don't forget to check out the article accompanying this podcast, which has links to all these stories in full. Also, log in to access all of our much more extensive content on Script, or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.